Hi, and welcome to the Legal Marketing 2.0 podcast, where we examine the latest trends in digital marketing. I'm Tim Barron, and this podcast is brought to you by the team at Good To Be Social, a digital marketing agency for law firms. Our host today, Guy Alvarez, Good To Be Social's founder, chats with software engineer turned legal marketer, Jaron Rubenstein. Uh, they address five questions legal marketers should ask in 2018. And Jaron touches on content marketing, engaging with your firm's target audience, the potential of artificial intelligence in marketing, and much, much more. The running theme throughout the conversation is strategy and technology. And this episode is a conversation as tutorial. So you'll want to check it out. All right, take it away, Guy. Hello, and welcome to the Legal Marketing 2.0 podcast. I'm your host, Guy Alvarez, and I am happy today to have as our guest, Jaron Rubenstein, who is the president of Rubenstein Tech. Hello, Jaron. How are you doing today? I am doing wonderful, Guy. Thank you so much for having me today. Should I call you Jaron or Jaron, as I like to call you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you can call me whatever you want, guys, All right. but I'll, I'll go with Jaron. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for, uh, for joining us today. As you know, this show is primarily listened to by legal marketers. So I think what we're going to talk about today is very apropos, and it'll let legal marketers get ready for 2018. So we're going to talk about five questions that legal marketers must ask in 2018. But before we dive in, Jaron, give us a little bit of background. I know you've told me this story, but for our listeners, how did you get into the legal market? You know, how did you get started? Why did you decide to end up in this crazy market? <laughs> that's, that's a great question. So I started this company almost 16 years ago, and my background is actually as a software engineer, as a programmer. So I'm about as technical as you can get. And I started the company to really a technology-focused powerhouse. So we were building websites, we were building apps. If you remember Palm OS, we were building mobile apps to oh, Palm yeah. OS back then. <laughs> um, Palm Pilots. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what mobile apps were in 2003, 2002. But we had partnered with design and creative agencies to implement their creative and to really allow them to take maximum benefit of, of the technology side of things. And, you know, things, the pace of technology has just continued to increase, as you well know. And so, you know, over the years, we had worked with a number of different clients in many, many different sectors. And at one point, we had the opportunity to work with, with our first very large law firm, Marson Forrester, actually. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was our first entree into the legal sector, really. We had worked with a few other firms, Aiken Gump and Millbank and Winston and Sean. And we started to, first of all, we just met some amazing people. We had some really terrific clients that were just fun to work with. And we did great work together. And we just saw an opportunity to bring that kind of technology innovation and very deep technical expertise to the sector. And that's our story. And, you know, flash forward, it's been probably the past six or seven years we've been working within the sector. And today we're working with uh, about 25 firms, um, you awesome. know, small, large firms. And yeah, that's, that's our story. It. Now, you guys developed a sort of a proprietary platform, RubyLaw. Talk, talk to me a little bit about RubyLaw and what it's all about. 
Yeah. So, so first of all, I'll say I hate the word proprietary. I don't think okay. proprietary is the right. I don't think proprietary is the right word for it. Um, unique. You know, it's, it's unique. It's industry focused. It's uh-huh. based on an open source platform, and it's a shared source system. So, it's not proprietary in the sense that you're not locked into us forever. But to talk a little bit about what it is, it's a content management system at its core. And over the years, what we've done is really listened to our clients, heard the challenges that they face, and tried to come up with solutions that make them more effective and more efficient. In their everyday management of the marketing technology. So, you know, started as just a web CMS, but we've extended it to really be a content hub for marketing technology teams and enable them to manage all the content from, you know, from the website experience, proposed generation, document generation, all of those kinds of tools that really make their day that much more effective and more efficient. That's awesome. And, you know, I think knowing the legal market like I do, I think there's really a need for something like that to sort of simplify what what legal marketers do on a day-to-day basis so it sounds like ruby law really does that which is which is great so let's talk a little bit about the topic today you know five questions that legal marketers should ask in 2018 and there's a lot going on both in technology as well as legal marketing as well as the industry as a whole so let's talk a little bit about content strategy right How does a a legal marketer figure out if their content strategy supports the firm's business objectives? That's a really good question. And and I know this is something that you work with your clients quite a bit on as well as content strategy and and executing on that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that content marketing has certainly come of age, right? And we're at the point now where, you know, most firms have been doing it for quite some time. There's still some firms, interestingly, that are still trying to get their content generation engine and, and strategy in line. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that one of the important things is that there needs to be a strategy that unifies the content across the firm that is focusing attention on what the real business objectives are. And defining those objectives is, of course, step one. But we see a lot of firms that are just putting out content to put out content. No rhyme or reason, right? Right, right. And there's yeah. nothing, it's nothing stringing them together. It's, in some cases, it's sporadic. One of the things that I think you definitely need to do when you have a content strategy in place and when, when you're trying to measure against business objectives is you have to have regular, frequent content targeted to a particular audience, you know, whether it be around a particular practice area or sector that the firm's focused on. But, you know, it needs to be targeted, it needs to be repeat and consistent. And then, of course, you need to measure it. And so I think that one of the things that some firms need to remember is that increased content production doesn't equate to increased results. It's not about volume. It's really about quality. Absolutely. And, and I think you nailed it when you talk about targeting, right? Because even if it- Content is quality, but it's not really delivered to the person that is interested in it. Then you're not really getting much success out of that, right? So it's really figuring out what your particular audience is looking for and and what they're actually interested in and delivering that type of content to them, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, one of the terms that you actually taught me, I heard you share this a couple of years ago, that's something you're speaking at was the idea of intelligent content, Yep. right? And how important that is as a method within the content strategy. Absolutely. Absolutely. So now let's talk about another question that I think is key for legal marketers. And I'm seeing more and more firms are redesigning their websites. They're coming out with new, flashy, great looking websites. But when I look at them, you know, some of them, there's nothing unique about them. So, you know, how does a firm, how does a legal marketer ensure that they're delivering a, an experience that is different, that is personalized, that is unique, 
and that it successfully engages with the firm's target audience. Yeah, that, that is a challenge. And, you know, I think personalization is really a big part of that these days and that the technology can provide that. But before you even talk about that, I would say that the first part of it is having that strategy to go back to what we were just talking about and, yep. and to know who you're targeting. It's impossible for, um, you know, even, even small firms, but even harder for medium and large size firms to be all things to all people. They need to focus their messages on whatever their targets are. They need to find those targets and then focus the messages to those targets and, and to that audience. And so part of personalization is about providing the right content to the right audience at the right time, in the right mode or method, right? Whether it's social or the web or an article or an email or whatever. And so I think that the way that the way that, that manifests itself for most firms is, is just executing the, the strategy that they have. In order to do something around personalization, you really need to have a lot more content. You have to have that personalized content to deliver. Absolutely. And so the technology can support that now, but I think that's one of the important parts is having that strategy and then being able to execute on it to actually create enough content so that you can personalize it to a particular sector or find ways to use the technology to do that for you. And one of the things that actually, it, it happens to be a project we worked on recently for an intellectual property focused firm, Finnegan, mm-hmm. Eastern DC. And in some ways, they, their content strategy is a little more focused because they are completely focused on intellectual property. So they can, you know, they don't have to, they don't have to worry about all these other kind of practices that they need to think about. It's really intellectual property. And so what that allows them to do is really drill into the different types of intellectual property, different sectors that they focus on. Is it biotech? Is it software, et cetera? And allow them to leverage those personalization traits in that system to actually present to folks what they're looking for. So if you're in the biotech sector and you're looking for an IP attorney of of some sort, you're not really interested in the IP attorneys that focus on software. You're not interested in the ones that focus on mechanical engineering. You want a biotech attorney and not just biotech, but you want you know, if you're doing something around whatever, DNA, you need to, you know, DNA research, you need to have something very, very specific to DNA. And so kind of personalization that they're able to employ on their website is in the form of content recommendation. By watching what the visitor is doing on the website, the technology is able to infer what they're interested in and then recommend related content to things that they've already looked at before. So it's an intelligent use of a recommendation engine. And that kind of personalization increases engagement. It increases what visitors are doing with your content and it increases the consumption of your content. And, and all of that, it leads to what marketers are looking for, which is engagement, eventually a phone call and, and, and hopefully a client. You know, I, I think you totally nailed it when you said you know, technology in a sense is incredible these days, but if you don't have the content, the technology really can't do much, right? And right. so, you know, a lot of times I feel like legal marketers don't really understand that and they're more focused on technology than, you know, making sure that you have personalization platforms, marketing automation platforms, all of these platforms really require a ton of content. That's a lot of times what I think marketers need to focus on. And in that, you know, the content has to be content that their target audience is interested in. We had uh, Jeff Berardi on the show, uh, I think about a month ago, and he talked about how at KNL Gates, they basically developed their editorial calendar at the beginning of the year by asking their clients, you know, what are your hot topics? What are the things that keep you up at night? What are the things that concern you. And I thought that was brilliant. So yeah, I think, I think you totally nailed it. Yeah. I was going to say Jeff is 
clearly a leader in the space. And with the KLL Gates Hub, I think it is a really, really smart way to, to disseminate that information and get it out there amongst other things. But yeah, I think, you know, uh, over the years, a lot of prospects have asked us, well, can Ruby Law support A-B testing? You know, A-B testing is, has been a, a thing for, I don't know, a decade, maybe longer. And the interesting thing is, of, of course it can. That's not a hard technology ask. But what I think people need to realize is if you're going to do a, an A-B test on content, that means you have to have content A and content B, which means exactly. you're doing two things to test against each other. And, yeah. and you know, that's not always a, an easy task for, you know, an overtasked marketing team. Absolutely. Now, you, you talked about a little bit personalization, which, of course, leads to a hot topic of the year, I think. You know, it feels like last year was content marketing, and now it's all about artificial intelligence. And everywhere you go, people are talking about AI and, you know, uh, its role within the legal industry. From your perspective, what role, if any, should AI play in how law firms operate and serve their clients. Yeah, you know, there's, it's such a, AI itself is it's such a broad field that there's so many applications of it potentially for a firm. You know, there's the business of law side of it where firms are using AI for discovery and, and, and you know, um, case analysis and all, all of those things. <laughs> um, you know, analysis of potential case outcomes. It's, it's amazing what's happening on that side of things. On the marketing side, you know, it's, I think it's still emerging as what we can do with it. One of the interesting things about really getting AI working for a law firm is that you need to have a large data set. The conversation, not so much in legal, but, you know, in other industries over the past couple of years about big data is something that sort of gave rise to AI because once we had these big data sets, we were then able to analyze them with, with artificial intelligence, with machine learning and make inferences and make judgments. Being able to do that for, you know, just a website visitor, something like that, is still emerging <laughs> as, yeah. a, as a technology. And I don't know, you know, I think that the B2C uh, marketers are gonna have it a little bit easier there because that kind of sentiment analysis is fueled by those very large data sets that consumers can provide. But having, having said all of that, I think that for B2B marketers, there's ways that, that it can be employed intelligently. So the way that we've been doing it ourselves for a while is with search. Visitors, site visitors, especially the kinds of frequent law firms, have very limited amount of time. They want to get in, they want to find the information they're looking for, and they want to move on with their day. It's not like Facebook where, you know, you want to or get sucked into spending an hour on it. <laughs> um, right. And so, you know, providing a very intelligent search is one way that AI and machine learning can be employed by a legal marketer for their potential visitors, for their clients and prospects. You know, surfacing information that might not otherwise be quickly found and surfacing information that the firm wants to promote in a way that, as I was saying earlier, you know, might be related to what they know the consumer is interested in or the, the visitor is interested in. So I think there's lots of things you can do around AI with that. There's also you know, some interesting things happening around chatbots mm -hmm. and voice interfaces. I don't know of any firms that are doing that yet, but I think that that might be the next sort of level is providing better customer service or engagement online via those sorts of conversational interfaces that AI can empower. So I think those are some of the, some of the ways that AI can be used already in an effective way. It takes a certain kind of firm. And I think it takes a certain marketing team to be able to, to see that kind of a project due to fruition. But we're, we're really excited about it. We're always looking for those kinds of opportunities. And I think there's a lot of potential there for sure. Other than AI, I think that another topic that's on everyone's minds these days is security, right? And 
I know in your in your article you said uh, these days if you haven't been hacked, then you're not cool, <laughs> um, which of course is a joke. But you know, in reality, I think you know most companies, most firms, it's not a matter of if; it's more of a matter of when. And so, really, it's it, the important question is how does a firm know if it's investing and upgrading effectively to enhance their security measures and to make sure that their client information remains confidential? Yeah, I think that's, that's paramount. And there's a lot of different ways to do it. In terms of the press, the past couple of years has seen everything from Sony to Netflix and HBO getting hacked. The, the Panama Papers was probably the biggest thing in the past few years in the legal sector, which came out of a website hack. It came out of a, a hack yep. of an insecure website in 2015, and 10 or 15 million documents were leaked that are still causing repercussions in, in the legal sector. So it's a very real problem. There are lots of easy things that marketing teams can do to ensure that they are not the source of that hack. I mean, the, the IT teams, I, I was talking to a CIO of, a, of an ML100 firm a few months ago, and, and he was saying that he's spending 80, 90% of his time on security these days. That's all he's doing, practically. Scary. Um, and yeah, and, but it's, it's a very real problem, and most firms are um, multi-office, if not multi-state or more global, and it's a huge attack footprint for potential attackers. There's so many avenues in. There's so many potential on-ramps for a hacker to get onto the systems and, and, and attack them. So from a marketing perspective, I actually love what Jacqueline Matarang, who's on, on your show recently, shared about how on their marketing team, they use a password vault and mm-hmm. only certain people have access to certain accounts. I think that's so incredibly important to ensure that your social media accounts, your publishing avenues, your content management systems and all that are secured. And, you know, you don't have interns running around with Twitter passwords for the firm and that sort of thing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, that's the easy stuff, right? The easy stuff is when someone leaves the marketing team, review your accounts and make sure that there are no, that their accounts aren't on the systems anymore. Enforce within your marketing team a periodic password refresh. Is it every three months? Is it every six months? Whatever it is, ensure that those passwords are getting rotated. And then the other, from a technical perspective, the single most amazing technology that has been made popular in the past few years around authentication, around logins, is the whole idea of multi-factor authentication or two-factor yes. authentication, right? It's the idea that for those who aren't familiar with that, it's essentially some sort of a, a token, a number. It's usually like a four or a six or an eight-digit number that rotates with time. Every 10 or 15 seconds, it, it's a new number. And that number is constantly changing. And by setting up uh, an app that can run on your iPhone or your Android or you know even your desktop, you can have this random number that's continuously changing And when you log in, that number can be required as part of your login. So a hacker would need not just your login and your password, which can usually be figured out or guessed or or cracked, but they also need that constantly changing token. And more and more firms, I mean, I've heard Duo being deployed across, (laughs) I can't even tell you how many times I've heard that company's name in the past few weeks alone from firms. You know, they're deploying it for their email they're deploying for their VPNs, they're deploying across the board. But it's also important to use that with your Twitter account. It's also important to use that with your CMS, your content management system. Ruby Law has supported MFA for a couple of years now. And we encourage our clients to use that, to use that multi-factor authentication token to secure access to your content management system. So yeah, I, I strongly recommend that legal marketers out there, really any, anyone involved in digital marketing, 
not only are they using secure passwords, they're using unique passwords for every service, but wherever it's supported that they're employing multi-factor authentication, that you're, they're using that token-based system to basically block out those kinds of authentication issues for, from hackers. Yeah, I remember uh, when I used to work at, at KPMG, they give us these little cards that were called Secure ID. Yeah. They were exactly what you were talking about, right? They would be yeah. changing all the time. So if you were logging in from outside the network, you would have to, you know, take out your secure ID and input that number. Like the RSA so, key fobs. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, that's exactly, exactly it. And, you yeah. know, those fell out of favor in part, I think, because um, – because of the cost of those tokens and because of the IT management headaches of managing them. But now sure. you can you can have that same technology in an app and everyone's right. got a smartphone. So yeah. I heard recently you're not even allowed to call it a smartphone anymore. It's just called oh. a phone now. Oh. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> it's All right. Is it PC? It. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, sounds good. All right, last question. I get a lot of calls from legal marketers and they are Basically, you know, they're thinking about redesigning their website or they're looking to enhance their SEO. And a lot of times they're like, well, you know, we're on this CMS platform or this other CMS platform. When a law firm decides they want to either start a new website or, or redesign their website, how do they figure out what is the right CMS for them and, and how can they get the most out of their content management system? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great question, and it's certainly a challenge that a lot of firms are faced with, a lot of marketing teams are faced with. Um, you know, what we see is that across the sector, the marketing teams are smaller teams that they constantly need to do more with less. They constantly need to more and more deliver against the bottom line, deliver against those business objectives. And I think that one of the most important things to look for in a CMS is the, is the ease of use, the usability of the system, the ability to train not only the existing team, but new team members on the system, and also the ability to continue to grow with the solution. So I think that legal marketing is unique from my experience in that firms are just coming around to really investing in their digital marketing technology. Even the leading firms now are just getting to the point where they have marketing automation that they can start to touch on, right? And, and I know you guys help firms with that as well, but they have a CRM and they have an email marketing solution and they have social media management and all of that. And you kind of need all those pieces to pull everything together. For firms that aren't quite there yet, they need to be thinking about not what they need today, but what they need in two years or three years from now. Right. And they need to be thinking about how whatever solution they're going to engage today is going to be able to grow with them. And the truth is, we don't know what tomorrow's digital marketing is going to look like. You know, we can talk about AI, we can talk about, you know, <laughs> uh, personalization, we can talk about analytics, we can talk about all these things, but it's a continuously evolving landscape. And I think that's the most important thing is to, is to actually, you know, if you're thinking about changing out your content management system, it's important to actually have the people who are responsible for using the system spend some time with the system or systems that you're considering. Make sure that it's not only easy to use, but that it's powerful and that it can handle things that you haven't thought of yet. You know, a lot of firms will put out an RFP and of course, being in the space, and I'm sure you see this too, see tons of RFPs for, you know, new websites, CMS. More and more firms have, more and more clients have been coming to Rubinstein Tech and to Ruby Law looking for the technology problem to be solved first. Yeah. And then on top of that, then they'll look for brand and they'll look for design and of course, content and all of those things. But it's really important to have that solid technology foundation that you can build upon. 
And so I think that's the first thing to look for. The second thing is really an easy to use system that you, your team can be trained on, you know, nearly immediately and that new folks that are joining the team can, can be trained upon. And then the next thing is really looking at the CMS as a content hub because that's what it is. It's, it's the hub of your marketing information. It's going to feed your social media. It's going to feed and drive the, the business strategy and the content strategy for the firm. And so having a system that's continuously extensible and that you can grow with over time is, is critical. That makes a lot of sense. And yeah, we, we actually got an RFP, I think about three weeks ago, and it was interesting. It was a firm that was looking for help in selecting a CMS. I think we actually forwarded it to you guys because that's not something that we do, but it's, it was interesting. It was the first time that I saw that, uh, which I thought is actually a, a pretty good approach. So, all right, in any case, we've run out of time, unfortunately. But before we go, is there anything I didn't ask you that you wanted to talk about or any advice that you have out there for our listeners? Any last words? Yeah, that, you know, the one thing that I would say is marketing technology is such a fast evolving field. And one of the things that I, being a technologist myself, I've always done is, you know, continuously <laughs> read and tried to keep up on the technology evolution. It's something we look for in our engineers too. The best engineers are the ones that have that kind of passion for continuously staying on top of technologies and testing them out and trying them and trialing them. And I think that that's something that the, the, the legal marketing teams can really learn from is in looking for opportunities to kind of test the waters of these technologies, trial them, do sort of proof of concepts where possible. It seems like there's a lot of like dive into the ocean head first happening. And there's not enough of these sort of like little tests to, to see what works for a firm. And, you know, every firm is unique. There's not a one size fits all solution. So if there's one sort of, I guess, piece of advice I could share with legal marketers that are listening to the show, it would be you know, stay on top of these new technologies. Don't be afraid to ask questions of each other, of potential partners and vendors. And, you know, look for opportunities to kind of uh, test the water before jumping in head first, because I think that there's a lot to be learned from those kinds of approaches. Excellent. I think that's excellent, excellent advice. All right. Well, Jaron, thank you so much for being on our show today. I thought it was really, really interesting and a lot of great information. If any of our listeners want to get in touch with you or want to learn more about Ruby Law or, or the things you guys do, what, what's the best way for them to do that? I would say email would be the best. It's Jaron, J-A-R-O-N, at rubensteintech.com, or you, know, you can just look us up at rubylaw.com, and, and that'll forward you on appropriately. But yeah, I, I look forward to reaching out to some of the listeners. Thank you so much for having me on the show today and uh, for the terrific conversation. Awesome. Thank you very much. Until next time, thank you. If you liked this episode, please subscribe to our podcast. And we'd love it if you also left a review for us on Apple Podcast, which was formerly iTunes. We're also on Stitcher and SoundCloud and Google Play and wherever you listen to podcasts. Before you go, I want to ask you a question. Do you struggle with digital marketing and how to make it work for you and your firm? If so, please go to lawformmarketinghub.com and sign up for a free digital audit. The audit will provide you with all of the information you need to build a blueprint for your digital marketing strategy to produce the results you want. You'll find the show notes for this episode along with all of the Legal Marketing 2.0 episodes at goodtvsocial.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.